0: He's on the move. Who? Someone's coming for you, and you're not gonna like it. You guys make noises in your sleep. Tell us. I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> but he's done awful things to people, and he'll do awful things to you.
1: No, no. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear, except God. Whatever that means to you. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? I will
0: we Why, why, We got Holy You're listening to the fear of God podcast exploring the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Hello everyone and welcome to The Fear of God episode 32 and... Something very, very special has begun here at The Fear of God. Something that I am so delighted to share with you. My name is Reed Lackey, and I want to invite in my co-host... Nathan Rose! Reed, we're at 32! What a good age that was. I know! But we, uh, we, every week, listeners, are coming to you with a conversation about the intersection between faith and the horror genre, specifically the Christian faith and the horror genre. And, uh, the reason we are so excited for this week. Nathan, do you want to, do you want to tell them what this week begins? Which they probably already ha- have a hint of if, uh, they looked at their episode <laughs> title before listening.
1: Uh, yeah, today we are starting hashtag
0: springtime for shamalan, shamalan, shamala. However, we're. It is Shyamalan. I okay. looked it up. It is Shyamalan. I've been saying it wrong. I always pronounce the little Y in it, the Shyamalan. I always just put that little thing, it. but no, it's Shyamalan.
1: I think this episode we should just, like, just keep saying it different ways, like every time. You know, just- Shyamalanma Ding Dong. Shyamalan. Show Mama na, na, na. It's like a, it's like a, a fear of God exclusive. We're going to speak in tongues on, uh. Uh-uh.
0: <laughs> and the listeners just exited out. All right.
1: Yes. So tonight we begin today, whenever it is you're listening to this episode, is when you are with us beginning the very exciting journey that we have lovingly dubbed springtime for Shamallah. Um, and we're going to run down five of Mr. Knight's films, uh, this particular episode. Um, again, as Reed mentioned, if you saw this on your playlist or however you consume these, we are talking about Split today. Uh, the most Mm -hmm. recent entry in Mr. M's Ouvray. Yes. So, Reed, we, we're talking about Split today. Before we get to Split, like any other... Any other pieces of media you want to recommend?
0: You've been consuming. Um, at the moment, to be honest with you, I've just been watching a lot of M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, and I'm I'm not like I I wanted to reacquaint myself with all twelve of his directorial efforts before we sort of dove into this. So recently, it's just been all Shyamalan all the time, which is not a bad thing for me. I know, I know. Already, some of our listeners are like, "Oh, good lord, we're gonna have five weeks of talking about this director because he's kind of a divisive." Uh, personality in terms of not him, you know, being contentious, but his films—they're polarizing. There are people who just spit a lot of bile against him. But
1: let's talk. Can we talk about that for a minute?
0: Sure. Yeah, I want can to. Do that? Sp- let's, it's let's appropriate camp, time
1: because because I've been thinking about that. You know, I was um, uh, as I occasionally do, listening to some of our more recent episodes just as they hit the air, uh, making sure I don't sound like too much of an idiot, which is you know easy for me to make happen. Um, <laughs> but you know you you've you've beat the drum several times of his supposed divisiveness, and I don't disagree with you about some of his some of his films some of his works and i I suppose I sort of understand maybe even him as a filmmaker you know he he had been known for increasingly more recognizably placing himself in his movies. In ways that may sort of pull you out you know which i know from or what i imagine from his standpoint is this sort of hitchcockian homage um which which i get and i on the whole never really had a problem with that to me as i interpret the divisiveness you're referencing is what you are saying that's a question is what you are saying that specifically just some of the movies or like for instance even you know, let's just go with what is pretty universally acclaimed. Six Sense, like, would you say, oh, Six Sense has its has its haters? I mean, like, what are you referring to when you specifically state the divisive nature of Shyamalan?
0: Shyamalan. Shamalan. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Shyamalan. Um, here, So, so here's what I'm kind of scratching at, or here's what I'm uh, what my experience of talking about him is. People, if people don't like Spielberg's works, or if they don't like a few of his dud films. Uh, in general, people, nobody will be sitting around going like, oh yeah, that hack Spielberg doesn't know what he's doing, you know? If people don't like Nolan, which I don't know very many people who don't like Christopher Nolan, but if people don't like Nolan, they at least acknowledge the artistry, the craft of it. Um, there is something very bizarre when you bring up M. Night Shyamalan's films if the person you're speaking to is not a fan. There's something very bizarre that happens in the conversation. To me, usually when I talk to my friends, if they do not care for him uh, as a filmmaker, there is this odd sort of there's this odd sort of bile that that creeps up. And I think it's because he has a lot of devotees. And I think that part of it is simply that the people like myself who are really big fans of his, that when he's very praised, there may be a tendency on their part to want to sort of uh back. ...against that and and counter it with equal amounts of distaste or dislike. But the other odd sort of thing that happens is I feel like critical assessment towards him is not always terribly fair. So when I talk about the divisiveness of him as a filmmaker... I always think about my encounters with my friends who don't particularly care for them. We have a couple of them who are listeners of this show who are like, yeah, we'll see you in six weeks or whatever. I mean, they, they, they assured me those that I interacted with that they would listen to these episodes. So thank you for listening, Blake and Brian and whoever else you are. Um, but they, um, they assured me that they would be listening, but. Most of the time when I have conversations with them, they'll roll their eyes. They're like, Oh, Shyamalan, good grief, this guy. And, uh, and I don't quite understand where all of that comes from. Maybe, uh, people who don't care for his work can illuminate that to me. But what I think more on an objective level is I think that critics in general are harsher to his films when he missteps. When he does sure. really well, yeah, yeah, yeah. then he, uh, and he's praised appropriately, but I feel like and and we'll get into this when we start talking about a couple of specifics, because he's made a couple of films that absolutely do deserve to be sort of taken to task. But I think he has made a few films that I think are unfairly dismissed and unfairly trashed down. But don't you think like
1: and and, and this is, you know, more just sort of curiosity, I mean, for better or worse and at varying points of his career, he might say worse. For better or worse, he became the director who twisted the ending. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's part and, of it. And I, right. and I well, right.
0: I think that's a large
1: part of it because it creates this expectation on the audience's part of grandiosity. You know, like, I mean, yeah. come on, Six Sense, like that is hard to top. Oh yeah. And there was this there was this sense of diminishing returns, even though I think. Unbreakable is a strong movie, even though I think Signs is a good movie, Um, you know, kind of rattle off those first few. But you have this sense of a bit of diminishing returns, like he kept feeling the need. He got sort of locked into this mode of twist right. ending and the audiences mm-hmm. kind of came to kind of hate him for it. It was this weird kind of love hate sort of thing
0: um that sort of happened sure. there. And, uh, so, so speaking of which, and this might be a, this might be a decent way to sort of lead us into talking specifically about split. Uh, you'll see what I mean in a second. Can we, can we spend another moment? Like this is our first springtime for Shamalan. So I'm okay opening things up, sort of talking in broad terms and we'll get into specifics over the coming weeks. But can we spend a minute talking about what we define As a twist. And since I didn't pre-brief you for that question, I'll I'll start um, and give you a moment to think about it. Like for me, if something is a twist, then it is something where we, the audience, have been perpetually misled through the course of the film to believe one thing is true that we discover at the end another a whole other thing is true. So, you know, there's a number of films where you're going through it and then there is something uh, slashers and we're talking about the horror genre in general. So a lot of slashers do this where uh, or a lot of mysteries do this where you are pretty sure the killer or the main antagonist is this person. But then uh, in big surprises, there's a reveal towards the final moments of the film that it's actually this going on. There's a couple of films with dramatic twist endings uh, that come to mind, and I'm reluctant to name them. Uh, but I- well, I'll I mean, name... we just talked about one last week. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so frailty, frailty, I would absolutely define as a twist because you spend the movie thinking that. Matthew McConaughey is playing Fenton Meeks. So in the final moments when he reveals himself to be Adam Meeks and much more deeply entrenched into what his father was doing than you realized before, that is a twist to me. Sure. Because you were continually fed right. false information. Versus, let's talk about signs for a second. And we'll have a whole episode about signs, so I won't spend too long on this. I don't consider the ending of signs a twist. No. Because it's not re—it's redefining. No it's the it's, information that you received before sure and, and sixth sense yeah go ahead
1: well I was just gonna say like I, I think when I employ the word twist in this conversation I simply mean audience expectation like you 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 deliver right. oh, yeah. something like a sixth sense even unbreakable you know I wouldn't categorize what happens at the end of signs in the same, vain as six inches unbreakable and even the village right. love or hate the end of the village it is a twist i mean that's that's a definitive that's new a piece of yes. information that colors everything else um right. you know, i would agree that signs is not in that same sort of category but that's all i'm saying is like i think he forced himself into that sort of box and you could you can there. see him kind of pushing the boundaries of it trying to get out of the box But but he never really successfully did until kind of more recently. Yeah, I I do agree with that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it is kind of this unfortunate catch-22 of him. Like, there are ways in which his career is not his career without that component. You know, like, I mean, even, and we'll talk about it next week in more detail, but even the visit.
0: I mean, the visit has a twist. That's absolutely a twist. I consider the visit to be I wouldn't even
1: say, I would not say... We we we'll, we're about to dive into it. I wouldn't say split is really a twist. It is.
0: I don't think a split revelatory has a twist
1: bit of information at the end, but right. Um, it doesn't change the narrative that you have just watched. Well, at least, okay, yeah, we'll get into that. But well, yeah. before we dive too far down the split path. Um, uh, but speaking in broad springtime for Shyamalan terms, um, what is? I want to know what is. See, do we do this at, on three, like at the same time? I want to know what your definitive favorite Shyamalan movie is. Okay. Like what would you, you ready? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's I thought it. about, I thought about this today. One, two, three. The, the Sixth village. Sense. Wow. Oh! Yours is The Village? It is. It is. Oh, now listen, man. Man. now there's, I, I, on, on the David S. Pumpkin scale, if The Village is a 9.9, The Sixth Sense is like a 9.8. You know, I mean, it is, oh, it okay. is a very thin margin of, of, you know discrepancy there. I just so am enamored. Like we'll we'll, we'll talk about the village uh, in one of our episodes. So, sure. Some of the people who were derisive of our talking about Shemlan period are like. Man, this cat Nathan has a funny joke every now and then, but I'm so not on board with his critical thinking skills <laughs> anymore. Like um <laughs> I do think ob- They definitely want to make you prove your point. Sure, sure. I
0: I'll tell you. Well, that. No, I
1: didn't say there's any point to prove. I just love the movie. I'm I'm just avowing it as a favorite. Fair enough. I think objectively Sixth Sense is almost unparalleled and I do love the Sixth Sense. But I do think Oh, sure, sure. I do think the it's you You know you, you have the whole movie of the village so i can't be like well take out that ending right but i was so enamored up until the ending that i'm i don't know it's it's this period or faux period gothic thriller scary romance i mean it was just mm-hmm. you know introduced us to bryce dallas howard joaquin's in there uh adrian brody I mean there's there was just a lot the score is
0: unreal. I love the That's score. That's my favorite Jeff. score of any of his films. That I go back and forth between whether that or Unbreakable is my favorite score yeah. um, of his. But uh one thing that I will sort of mention and then and and then maybe we'll uh, dive more deliberately into split is I, I I'm enjoying that after a long string of nearly a decade of him being primarily derided almost unanimously derided by the critical circles it is nice with last year's the visit and with this year's split um, that he's starting to come back into some affection both with audiences and with critics some of us have stayed with him the whole time even though we rolled our eyes through some of those weaker movies we'll talk about that i'm sure but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it's a good time to be a Shyamalan fan. I'll just say that. So, so why don't we dive right into split? Let's do it. You want to, you want to, let's, let's split uh, from what we were me, just talking about
1: and dive into this movie.
0: Yeah. So, um, so how do you want to start this? I've got a couple of trivial bits. Do you want to do David as pumpkins? What do you want to do? Well,
1: you know, uh, I feel like something interesting happened with frailty last week where while in the moment I would have stuck, to my David S. Pumpkins review, I think by the end, and this is what's good, right? This is what happens when friends talk about media they're passionate about. Like, That's you, right. you develop a differing sort of take, a, uh, an alternate perspective on what you've seen or watched or read, and that can affect your appreciation for it. And I think that kind of happened with Frailty last week, wherein by the end of it, I might have said, you know what? I'm gonna, and in fact, I did say that. I'm gonna, I, w- I would have given it a little higher rating. So I'm gonna encourage and ask Reed, On the fly here in the moment. Okay. Would you be open to ending our conversation with our David S. pumpkins? Um, just, and and not just for today. I mean, like, period, like moving forward. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have our, we'll have our trivial bits. We'll have our likes, our dislikes. We'll talk scary things. We'll talk substance things and then just kind of tie it all together in this nice little pumpkin bow. We'll 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 finish <laughs> wrap it up like a pumpkin. We'll finish with some David S pumpkins. How do you feel about that?
0: Uh, I'm 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 down with that. Yeah, I think that would be good, especially because you rated Frailty way too low. But but um, no, I, I'm totally fine. Let's let's move our ratings at the end. Maybe that'll maybe that'll uh maybe by then when we rate them, the listeners will agree with us. Well,
1: what's gonna be funny about that is like now all of our ratings are gonna be like skewed for this massive curve. Like all of a sudden, everything up to this is like sevens and. 6.2s, now they're all like 9.7s. 9.7s. Everything's a 9.7. Yeah, right, right. Everything Everything's <laughs> <is> now scaled
0: <laughs> up. Uh, yeah, I think we're still, I think we'll still probably be fair, but, but yeah, no, I, I think it's a really good idea. Let's, let's go ahead and move it at the end after we've had a discussion about it and dissected it a little bit.
1: Yeah, all right. Trivial bits. Um, Give me some bits. So,
0: so just, just a couple of quick notes. Um, I found it interesting, uh, that, Joaquin Phoenix was originally supposed to play Kevin Crum, the um, Get out of here. James McAvoy role, yeah, um, but evidently they couldn't reach a contract agreement or a scheduling agreement. I'm not sure exactly what f- broke down there, but um yeah, it's really interesting because he's a he's a really talented actor, but I'm not gonna take anything away from James McAvoy, man. James McAvoy is a revelation in this film. Um another thing that you might find interesting is that the cinematographer, whose name I'm probably gonna butcher, um, his name is, uh, I, I, I think it's Mike Julakis. I'm probably saying it wrong, but he was also the cinematographer for It Follows, which is where Shyamalan found him. And I was like, wow, that's part of why this movie looks so dang good. Yeah. looks so dang yeah. interesting. Well,
1: here's, here's a random trivial bit. This actually piggybacks a little bit on what we were saying in terms of derisiveness. Something I wrote down right after I saw the movie um, was his problem was never craft. It was storytelling mm. at a point.
0: You know, oh, okay. About Sean. Yeah. Alon, you yeah, mean. yeah. Yeah. yeah like, that, like that, I
1: think he's a yeah. extremely competent filmmaker, you know, like, like, oh, absolutely. You know, framing yeah. shots and, you know, all these other things. It was just kind of the, his, his structural, his narrative structure kind of dented and dinged over time in such a way that it started to go off the rails.
0: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that even for his film that I think is the, his least uh, effort, and that's for me. It's the happening. I, I dislike happening that's even more than I movie. dislike Last Airbender. Yeah, but uh, like, but even in the happening, there are moments in the happening that look wonderful. Sure, and there are moments in the happening that, like when the credits start rolling. <laughs> <laughs> well, and moments that, taken by themselves, are quite effective. Sure, but just that film, you know, that's why we're not devoting a whole episode to no. the happening. Two more quick things, actually, one quick thing, and then one thing that might not be so quick. So. Dr. Fletcher in Split is played by Betty Buckley. Uh, do you, did you recall where we've seen Betty Buckley before rather recently? You
1: know, in the moment, I, you, you and I've talked about it since we saw the movie. I recognized her in the film. In other words, like yeah. watching Split, I was like, that, you know, this, this actor rings a bell, but it, I was not clicking with who it was and you, you, you know, elucidated to me that it was in fact, carries gym teacher.
0: That's exactly right. Yes. So she's once again,
1: slash Desjardins.
0: Right. Well, and in the film, I think she was Collins, but yes, that, that character. So, so once again, she is playing, uh, the caring counselor to someone that she should be running far away from (laughs) (laughs) yet again. Um, so, but okay. So I want to say this before I give this piece of trivial bit listeners, if you have not seen split, And you're listening to us to check this out. I'm about to introduce uh, something as a trivial bit that is, I would would say, the major spoiler for this film. So if you have any interest whatsoever in seeing it and have not yet been spoiled anything about it, you need to stop right now and wait until you can see the film to finish the conversation. Because it's the kind of surprise that deserves to not be spoiled, if at all possible. So you were warned. Very well. From here on out, it's full spoiler alert. Oh, okay? thank God those guys are gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the best things about Split, audiences cheering in their seat uh, having this experience, is that at the very end, in the final moment, Nathan, who shows up? Who shows up in the final scene of Split? David Dunn, my friend. David Dunn. And where where do, where's David Dunn David from?
1: Dunn, who is the protagonist from Unbreakable, shows up. In a diner at the end of Split, yeah, and I will describe my experience of seeing that, and I want to hear yours. So you had alluded actually on our episode uh, right after you'd seen it, you you charged me to go see it. I knew I was going to anyway. Of course, I knew there was something, you know, it's a sh- it's Shyamalan. <laughs> There's something to come at the end of a Shyamalan movie. Sure. And that day, maybe like the day before, I saw it. I had seen some article. I didn't read it, but the headline was simply like. Shyamalan mentions a script for Unbreakable 2 or something like that for a sequel to Unbreakable. I was like, that's a really odd, you know, I'm, I'm the type of media consumer, at least, you know, movies and stuff like that. I'm always trying to connect dots subconsciously. It's like, okay, that's interesting that Unbreakable is in a conversation with Shyamalan right now, even though it splits what's being promoted. Right. So that stuck out to me. I still didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, but then when I went to see the movie, it was great. So, you know, the, the whole primary story happens, uh, the cop door closes on whatever her character's name is, um, and then you cut to McAvoy in the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. And he's right. talking to himself. And does he, in that scene, does he allude to someone other, like, a, I, I feel like it's been a little while since I've watched it, but he alludes to someone else. Doesn't
0: he? Uh, No, he's all. Well, all he's talking about is he's talking about them, whoever they are, which could be a specific person or it could be the world at large. I took it. I took that moment to mean that he's just talking about people, humanity. He's having a conversation. Obviously, he's a dissociative uh, identity disorder. So he's talking to himself. And it's different characters speaking with right, one right, another, right. Um, but I took them to be just discussing the world at large won't be ready for him. Sure. Um, well, so that scene's happening.
1: Well, then, as you just referenced, that familiar, familiar, unbreakable score comes in, and mm-hmm. I was like, "What? What are we doing?" And then you cut to the diner, and it's this long shot of the you know the bar at the diner, and it's panning right. down. And I was with a buddy who is not a Shyamalan fan. Like I am. Mm. I intentionally said that funny, just in case you're curious. Yeah. Um, and so
0: <laughs> uh, anytime you say the name, I'll, I'll know that you're saying right, right. funny.
1: So the camera's <laughs> panning down the bar and then you hear the ladies talking about the horde. You know, the newscaster is just referenced right. the horde and they're like, that reminds me of such and such 10 years ago or 12 years ago, whatever it was. And they lean back and David Dunn's like, his name was Mr. Glass. And I just mm-hmm. said in the theater with all these young punks, I just said, wow like that's how i said it like loudly i was the only i was the only i don't i'm I'm jealous of your movie going experience because mine was not like that i was the only one to really oh, exclaim. and in fact on my way out i heard some young just what's what's a what's a <laughs> whippersnappers whippersnapper that's a good one that's what i'm looking for i heard young some young whippersnapper be
0: like why did they pay so much for bruce willis right just for one scene and i thought well that person. Well, if that person was 16 years old or younger, they would they would have been born after Unbreakable was made. Wow. So really? I know when did that come out? Two thousand. Oh my god. Two thousand oh is when god. that came out. So what's interesting about that is that. Um, so I had. Uh, yeah, I, I when I've talked to people about this, everybody's talk You know, everybody initially who saw it in like the first week or so were like. Oh, man, you got you got to go see Split before it's before it's ruined for you. And and I had a similar experience where I was like, after I got out, I started telling everybody like, oh, man, you got to go see Split before it's ruined for you. You got like it's a it's a surprise that deserves to be experienced. Um, now, like you, I had seen and and wasn't quite positive about this. But in like a couple of days before I went to the movie to see it, I had seen a headline that said, like, final unbreakable film forthcoming or something like that and and i was like huh final not sequel right right and it, it just it just sort of stuck something in the back of my brain now i didn't know and i didn't read anything more about it but so i was not as i wasn't i wouldn't say that i was spoiled because i wasn't sure right. i didn't sure. Do any yeah, digging. Yeah, 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 yeah. so i wasn't so I, I wouldn't say that i was spoiled it was only just an inkling in the back of my head that maybe this might be what the big deal about split was Well, because
1: impressively, I'm sorry to cut you off, but impressively, I think the marketing does such a good job and and not because it's a a sleight of hand. But, you know, you you just mentioned you weren't spoiled like you could walk out of that movie five minutes before it's over and never know. Oh, absolutely. So. So, I mean, in a very real way, I don't feel like we were given a partial movie in favor of. Some connective tissue to a Shyamalan verse, you know what I mean? I absolutely Um, agree. So I think I think I think there's a lot of value from that standpoint because you get a full product, you know, a a complete product. It just happens to tie in in a very specific way.
0: Well, and I was I even said to a few of my friends after they saw it, I said that moment in any other like if that moment were happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or if that moment were happening in a in a sequence of films where people sort of understand that there's going to be a post credit scene that's a post credit scene right. that's that's not like it even felt like a post credit scene in in the moment but you know for a fact that there are going to be a bunch of people who just exit as the moment the credits start rolling. Right. So you have to sort of reveal it right then or people, or people are not going to stick around for it, which, you know, probably not a conversation worth having right now, but I, you know, part of me is like, well, then they're lost if they didn't, if they didn't catch that. But yeah, I mean, he, he did choose to put it pre credits and I love that it doesn't, the, the film stands on its own. Yeah. Without this connection to Unbreakable, I feel. I want to take, I don't want this episode to be too terribly long for, you know, just everyone's sake, but I want to take maybe five minutes or so and talk about Unbreakable because this is, this is the appropriate place to do it. This is the sequel, quote unquote, that we've been waiting for for, you know, almost two decades. Do, do you remember when you saw Unbreakable? We were not friends when we saw Un- when we saw Unbreakable. If you saw it in the theater, and here we are, we were not. We had not yet. Um, met. it's it's like another life. I don't, I don't. It is like another life. Doesn't it feel that way? I have I have
1: nothing in that in in my memory pre read.
0: So there's just, <laughs> nothing, there's just nothing there. I have that effect on people. Uh,
1: you know, I do. I vaguely remember seeing it in the theater. Unbreakable grew had to grow on me in a way that Sixth Sense didn't. Okay. Um Unbreakable, the first time I saw it, I think, to my recollection, again, pre-read, all of life is a bit of a blur. But um, I, I did see it in the theater. I remember thinking, huh, well, I, you know, I definitely didn't see that coming. The further I got from that initial viewing and the more times I had watched it post that initial viewing, the more I grew to love it. Um, mm. I, you know, I think at the time, as you kind of do with Shyamalan films, You've got to You're you're on your guard a little bit. Like, I don't know what I'm going to watch here. You know, and so you're right. You right. are forecasting, like, where is this going to go? Um, mm-hmm. But but I grew to just I mean, I would easily rank Unbreakable up there uh, with some of my favorites of his. Um, but,
0: yeah I, I, yeah, I love I love that movie. Well, what's interesting about rewatching it right now, and uh, this was one of the biggest things that I wanted to mention, is the year 2000, you comic book devotee, bigger comic book fan than I am. Uh, You remember what big comic book movie broke the airwaves in 2000? X-Men. The first X-Men, which is credited as the first of the big comics boom that we're seeing, where now comic books are everywhere, and X-Men got there first. Admittedly, we had had Batman, Superman. There had been a number of properties that were based on comic books that existed almost every year before that, but X-Men was really like the one that sort of kicked the door down for like, now we're going to start seeing a ton of very high-level High pedigree properties made into films, but it's interesting because when I rewatched Unbreakable, it opens with a a brief little blurb, a sequence of blurbs about comic book consumption in general and about how, you know, many, many fans around the around the world read comic books. And it was interesting to me because I took note of that, and I said, if Unbreakable were com- if Unbreakable came out a few years ago, that disclaimer would not be necessary because right. comic books are everywhere right. now. Right. And so it was interesting. What it put me back into mind of is it put me back into the mind of the fact that in 2000, when this came out, they they weren't as there wasn't such a glut of them was, as there a is right now. Hollywood property, right? I, absolutely. And so that made, to a degree, makes Unbreakable somewhat. uh I, I'm reluctant to use the word revolutionary. I don't think it deserves that term. But it but it was definitely. I think that can, that deserves to be considered to some degree groundbreaking. Sure. The fact that it's doing something in the comic book realm and deliberately addressing comic book elements. You
1: could say it was at the vanguard of the comic book movie boom. Although as a (laughs) random caveat, actually, this, you'll roll your eyes at this. I would too. It just happens to be true though. Like actually, X-Men, yes, I would say kicked the door down. What cracked the door open was Blade. If you can believe that.
0: Really? Blade was the first yeah, like Marvel it, it is, movie. Yep. Yep. It's really held in
1: it's not held in like high critical esteem per se, but it did a lot of sure. money in a way that actually started to make people pay attention. Anyway, random caveat Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, random caveat. No, but that is. X Men definitely took what work Blade did and and really, you know, pushed it over the pushed it over the edge. Got it. Got it.
0: Well, but yeah, I mean, I I love Unbreakable. Uh, I love just uh, you know, I don't want to have a whole mini episode about it right now, although we probably could. But um, I just love the the tone of Unbreakable. I love so the way it's paced. It it holds up really well, having just seen it and having not seen it for about a decade. It holds up really well. It's I a got beautiful just story. I mean, it really is. It really is. You know, this yeah, this estranged
1: really marriage. And part of it, you know, some of some of these elements we talked about with frailty, you know, this character who has sort of given up on himself, not give, you know, that didn't happen in frailty, but as in like is searching for his purpose. And what, yeah. what, oh, a, yeah. what a relatable, universally relatable sort of theme. Yes. You know, I, I, even I didn't I haven't rewatched it in a while, but there's so many sort of iconic images in it. You know the the scene of him carrying Robin Wright up the stairs. Yes. The scene yes. of him weightlifting and them continually adding things. Oh, it's great. The scene, scene of the son with the yeah. gun. You know, powerful scene. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites in that whole movie is the is when he goes to the house to save the kids. I mean, that is. I was going to say that thrilling. The
0: whole sequence. Yeah, the whole sequence from. Him going into the train station. That's right. That's right. And then yep. bleeding it. That train station sequence. I rewound it. Like watching the film. I don't normally do this, but I like. I, the scene ended, and before he went to the rest of the house, I I paused it. I I wound it back and watched that scene again because I like th- I to that. Into the empty scene, room. Scene. You said that's so good. Well, the room wasn't empty. I was with my <laughs> wife, but uh, you know. But so uh, like it's one of those things where like I just th- I couldn't agree more. I think that entire thing is is very. Uh, it, it's just, it's just gorgeous. And I think it's, it's really, it's got a potency to it that I wasn't expecting to be as strong as it was. In fact, you mentioned that gun scene. My first viewing of it and, and my couple of viewings of it w- more recent to its release, I didn't like that gun scene. That was the one scene that I was like, let's take it out. Last night, it didn't bother me at all. I was really affected by it. So I think the film has some real staying power. Sure. And I think that it, it's got a lot in it. And I will say this as a, unless you have more accolades to, uh, heap upon unbreakable. I'll say this as a transition. Finally, to get right into split, this I do think is possibly revolutionary. It's definitely groundbreaking. And if this if this plays out the way that we think it might play out, this I think is revolutionary. I don't think there has ever been a comic book film franchise that has done this things this way. A comic book film trilogy or franchise or anything. We have with unbreakable. We have. It, admittedly, before there were a lot of them, we have a sort of an origin story for a hero. Right. And we have that all playing out. And, uh, naturally, Mr. Glass, Samuel L. Jackson in it is a, is a villain. You could say that it was an origin story of that entire dynamic and that it was an origin, but it's primarily an origin story of David Dunn sure. as a hero. Right. With Split, you have what most people did not see coming, the origin story of a villain. Right. And ex- exclusively an origin story of the villain. Sure. Like, to sure. the degree that 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 the heroes, again, well, we're spoiling everything about Split. The, the heroes don't really make it. Right, <laughs> right. In Split. Like, like the, the villain is unquestionably the sort of last man standing at the end of all of these encounters. And so, I, I got to thinking about it. I was like, how great would it have been if you had, like... A trilogy of films, and we didn't know who Batman was. We didn't know anything. Let's say Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy was reinventing the wheel, and you have, you know, a film that is the origin of Batman. And then you have a total other film, completely separate, that's the origin of Joker. Sure. And completely, you know, totally different, and you don't realize until the end that it's connected. And then you have what we... Are presuming from 2017, Shyamalan has tweeted and has posted that he's working on this third film that we know is going to combine these two narratives. But then you have a third film where those two worlds collide. To my knowledge, it's never been done in a sort of superhero type story you in the film world.
1: Done the Horde Dawn of Shyamalan verse.
0: Wow. <laughs> now you've, now you've just taken two films I love and irrevocably mirrored them with a film that I hate. So thank you for that. Say,
1: just like, uh, the finest film of 2016, BVS, DOJ. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that movie has six initials and a, Ugh. and a Cohen in the middle. <laughs>
0: messes with my
1: colon hey. Rand- oh wow. Um, random, uh, final bit before we full, full feet into split. Um, I think another thing I love about Unbreakable that is not easy to say these days is the trailer. That trailer, you remember the one of yes. the doctor talking to David in the hospital? It's, that, it's just
0: that scene. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's just that it's scene.
1: The, in the foreground, the body where the blood starts, you know, kind of seeping. seeping out. Oh yes. That trailer mm-hmm. was fantastic because it told you so much and so little at the same time. I mean, it was just an excellent, excellent marketing. Good work, night.
0: And and that's what I'll say about Shyamalan's work in general. And it's definitely true of Split. He's. We we talked a lot about how some people may be, uh, you know, sort of derisive of him because of his proclivity towards twists or any number of other things. He's also a very stylized filmmaker. Like you know his films. Sure. If you like, they're going to have certain key components. All of his films are, you know, whether they're uh, in, you know, the straightforward horror genre or the science fiction genre or the superhero genre, whatever it is, they're going to have some key components. And one of them in in all of the in all of his films is this certain era of uh, of mystery. There's this um, sort of a, a puzzle that needs to be sort of solved or cracked open through the course of the narrative. And with Split, I kept thinking, and this is part of, this is part of why I'm, I'm really affectionate for Split is because I kept thinking that Shyamalan was leading me towards some sort of redemptive statement for Kevin Crumb. I thought that we're building towards something where it's like, because that's frequently in his films, where there's some sort of statement of hopefulness or redemption. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it more frequently, but even in a film as dark and in some ways twisted as The Visit, there's still a profound message of like sort of a redemptive uh, leaning in, in the final moments of it. But with split th- th- that's not as pronounced no. if it's even, I think it's there to a small degree, but it's, but it's definitely got a downward turn at the end. I was set up mostly to have Kevin Crumb kind of be redeemed and, and possibly reconciled by the end. And I thought that was where things were going to go. So when things didn't go that way, uh, I, I liked it all the more for sure. him having made the choice to to go a different route, to kind of throw me a different curveball, and then can't even imagine for people who had no inkling whatsoever that it was then going to be tied into the Unbreakable universe. Well, it's
1: funny hearing you say both the character names out loud. I mean, I've always known David Dunn. I didn't realize the alliteration of Kevin. Right. You know, historically, right. I mean, that's that's kind of a, a very Marvel uh nomenclature trope i mean your bruce right. your bruce banner your reed richards your peter parker so on and so forth mm-hmm. sue storm <clears throat> so yeah that's pretty cool i mean it's clearly a love letter to that that world um so let's yeah. let's let's go let's let's full steam ahead probably i mean we've we've glanced off a good bit of these but in terms of likes dislikes what are two? What's one major of each? Do you do you have one?
0: You okay, can- yeah, 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 that's fine. So um, one major like for me uh, that we haven't already sort of alluded to is I love that just like the the heroism in Unbreakable, the Beast when he emerges, he is heightened, but I but I can see it. It's taking place in the real world sure. still. Yep, it's yep, heightened, yep. and even though it may not be entirely possible. Um, it's taking place in the real world. It is every bit as believable as David Dunn's skin doesn't break right. and that he doesn't get sick. You right. know, it's every bit as believable as that. And yet, in this sort of horrific sort of way. So I like the consistency I, there. On that
1: note, I, on that note, real quick, I was really glad. Remember how with the witch, I told you when Black Phillip starts speaking at the end, how I said, I, oh, I know right, we're not right, going right. to see a talking goat. Like it's just not going to happen. In split, right. I kept thinking once the narrative starts barreling towards the beast manifest. I thought, no way, please don't let him turn into some kind of werewolf thing. You know what I mean? Like, I right, just thought right. that doesn't, that seems asynchronous to the the rest of the groundedness of the movie. So, you know, I'm, I'm basically applauding what you're saying. Like I was really glad he's just a more sort of physically commanding version of who he already is physically. Right. You know, right. And, uh, as opposed to turning into an actual beast, which would have been just sort of odd.
0: I, I completely agree. And speaking of the witch, Anya Taylor joy yep. is yep. just outstanding. I, did that. I just served that right up for us. Yeah, you sure did. But she, she's outstanding in this. I, she's really an actress that I've come to, uh, I'm, I'm going to be paying very close attention to the choices she makes for films, in the near future, because she really seems like she's on a roll right now. She, she delivers two outstanding performances in The Witch and in this. I even saw her and really enjoyed her in that Netflix original, Barry, about the early years of Barack oh. Obama. She's in that, and, and she does a really good job. The film itself was kind of meh, but but she does a really good job in it. So that's I'm, I'm going to close my likes, dislikes on that, because anything else I'll say related to scares and themes. What about for
1: um, you? I've got one major like and one sort of semi-dislike. Um. I mean, the major, like, is just friggin' James McAvoy is a... Yep. Is just... Yep. Uh, uh, he's a monster. Goodness gracious. Yes. Um, yeah. I've liked him. Genius. You know, uh, what I've seen him in, and I haven't, like, followed his career with a fine tooth comb, but, you know, kind of the X-Men stuff. I may have seen one or two of his non-X-Men work, but I've always liked him. Um And yes. thought he was very capable, but this movie really... I mean, goodness gracious. That scene towards the end... Is it when he's he's confronting mm-hmm. the therapist or is it, who is he confronting at the end? When he goes through uh, all the characters right there, all the personalities?
0: Yes. So so he's, uh, it, it's when, it's after the, the therapist is gone okay, okay. and the bear uh, Casey, <laughs> uh, yeah, Casey um, says his full name. That's right. And when she okay. says his full name, then he right. he's doing this rapid fire. Yeah. Every, it's what they call everybody fighting for the light. Sure. That's and right. It's. It's genius. Oh my gosh, it's genius. I don't know how he, I don't know how he as an actor pulled that off. It is, cause the, cause the camera, to my recollection, doesn't cut away. It's just on him. It might, it's all single. It might briefly cut away to, uh, to her, like just to show her. But regardless, there's at
1: least three to four personalities strung together per take if it's not all one take. Yes. Um, And and every one of them believable. It's stunning. I did kind of like, I did, this is piggybacking on that. Like I did kind of like that. We don't meet all the personalities that would seem a little grandstandy. You know what I mean? Which is funny because it's already a real robust, uh, characterization, but you know, it's like, oh, but yeah. 23 of them. Come on, guys. Um, I know, I know. This is, this is just a random dislike. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but I, I had read uh, an editorial about this and I don't totally disagree with it. I think there's, I think for what the movie is going for in terms of Casey, is that her name? Yeah. Uh, Casey's backstory, it seems a little odd. And I thought it was a little off putting the present personality that has the girl take her clothes off like that. That refrain was a little, it was, I'll I'll put it this way and it's going to sound more negative than maybe I think it actually was intended to be, but it comes off as more titillating than I think Shyamalan has the class for. Does that make sense? Like,
0: uh, I, I don't disagree. And I think even Anya Taylor-Joy uh, confronted is probably not the right word, but in some of her promotional material, uh, I think she was asked about that. And I remember, I don't remember the context, but I remember specifically hearing an interview where she asked him, are you making a misogynistic movie? Really? And he, assu- yeah. And he assured her, told told her, you know, the breadth of everything that was happening. And she, again, she said in this interview, she said, and I understood where he was going and I, and I agreed with it. But, uh, yeah, she, she was concerned about that as well. Because, because, because I think there's a variety of reasons.
1: There's a way in which, yeah, that present action of, of having the teen girls, you know, steadily removing articles of clothing is very dissonant, uh, with what feels like the theme you're trying to develop in the backstory, which feels very, which feels very confrontational and addressing some very specific ailments of, not just society, but individuals. Anyway, so uh, yeah. you know, if if I were if we were doing David Pumpkins right now, I'd, I'd ding just a little bit for that because I, it is a little like uh, it doesn't feel necessary to the narrative in a way that some yeah. stuff that's whether it's meant to titillate or not. Sometimes movies can employ that type of material in a way that at least is valuable to the narrative, and this didn't quite feel convincing enough in that regard.
0: Anyway, Yeah, I would I would probably have to give it some more thought. It was something that it's it's in that pocket where I'm not going to defend it because I don't really I agree with you that I don't necessarily think it's vital to what's happening or vital to the theme. But because it didn't go further than it did. Sure. it It sure. also didn't really it didn't really bother me. But if anybody listening or conversing with me uh, says like, yeah, I was really bothered by that. I wouldn't come to its defense. I I understand. I I think it is uncomfortable and whatever he was driving towards by its inclusion, I think I would probably have to sort of unpack a little bit, which we don't have to do right now. There was another, there was another element that, um, just on that, that I did have a conversation about that was talking about, uh, the stigmatization of people with Uh, mental illness sure and the sort of the 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 villainy and it was interesting to me and and you know what i i don't know how much i don't know how much i want to talk about this right now because there's there's something that i'm going to address in themes that may make it come back a little bit but I, i think one thing about this idea that you have a person who clearly has mental illness and then you have at least one character through the entirety of the film very much a champion of these people as being treated as people and and as remarkable. And, you know, Dr. Fletcher, uh, really coming to bat for, for Kevin and for all of his personalities and talks about them like they're different people and everything. I can understand someone saying like, well, this is really a stigmatization of people who have mental illness. It paints them as villains. It paints them as monstrous. It paints them as something to be afraid of. And if somebody really feels passionate about that, and they have strong feelings about it uh, I'm not going to trample those convictions right here because I think that's I think that's valuable and worthwhile but but what's interesting about that is I do think that I know that there are a couple of prominent stories films where it's about someone with a mental illness who turns out to be homicidal to some degree and I know that at least some of those including although it's not it's not anywhere near based on a true story but in my sort of digging for trivia, I discovered that this does sort of heavily borrow from a real case of someone with dissociative identity disorder who had who had murdered a number of people. And there was some compartmentalization about blaming it on one of his other personalities. And there's a defense there and 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 all of that kind of stuff, which is why I'm not going to you know draw a line in the sand of saying, no, it's absolutely OK to treat people with this condition in this way. Uh, I'm also not going to draw the line in the sand and say that should never happen or that it's not it's not allowable in storytelling. I do think some sensitivity and some care needs to be given, and I think personally that that split gives it the kind of care that I would want to see from something like this. Other sure. people may have just heard me and said, No, it doesn't. You're garbage read, and we might get comments, and that's fine. It's just my opinion. Well, I I, I I think it gives it the care that it needs if you're addressing that subject. Yeah, and
1: I you know I don't think either of us are fully equipped to engage a, a mental health conversation, <laughs> even though you know we we do think we can talk about everything. But um, <laughs> but I I would I think I would lean the direction of of what you're saying as well. I think this movie, see, it's interesting. This is conversation is happening on the heels of the release of Iron Fist. Um, the marvel netflix series which seems a random thing to bring up but roy thomas i think is the name of the creator the 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 comic creator who developed the character iron fist so so the it's gotten a lot of sort of pushback not just because it apparently is pretty bad i haven't actually watched it but also because it seemed to many like a very missed opportunity to bestow this character on a an actor of asian descent you know Um, oh okay and so this sort of whitewashing conversation well, mm-hmm. the Roy Thomas <clears throat> said something like, well, gosh, I just meant it as an adventure story. Like, why are we paying so much attention to this? Which feels very dismissive of what feels like real, a real conversation that is merited. Whereas, you know what I'm saying? Like, like oh, yeah, that feels sure. like a guy who in the seventies at the height of his career creates this character. And now 30, 40 years later, it's like an older white guy's like, "Oh, it's just meant to be an adventure story. Just roll with everybody, which which is sort of a sympathetic point to make, but we do live in a, a, a society now that, you know, not unrightly so it means we are conscientious of the different personalities and perspectives we're putting on screen. All of that to say there is a certain way in which with split, I want to say, I think they're just using a convention typically associated with mental illness to tell a specific narrative story. Um, I do think Like you, there's a lot of care taken because up until a certain point in the movie, the therapist isn't wrong in her, in her devotion. Um, she isn't wrong in her concern. And in fact, in many ways, Kevin is an extremely sympathetic character because, because you can see all of the warring that's happening in him and how there's just one personality up until the beast revealed. You know, there's only one personality that's really well, there's I can't three yeah. So there's three that are sort of overtaking things. It's been a there's, while. There's
0: three it. that are driving everything. It's it's uh, oh gosh, and now I'm Patricia butcher their names. Yeah, Patricia, uh, Dennis, and Barry. And well, Barry is who he pretends to be for Doctor Fletcher. Hedwig is the nine year old. Right. So so it's so it's Barry is a real is is Barry is a real personality. But we never get to see Barry until his flurry of fighting for the light at the end, because what they reveal, (laughs) follow me here. Every single time he's talking to Dr. Fletcher as Barry, he is Dennis pretending to be Barry. Because he's straightening the things in the office. Right, that's right, what right. first clues right, her in right. that something's wrong. Right. Because she's like, I don't think I'm talking to Barry. I think I'm talking yeah. to Dennis.
1: And 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 the main point I'm simply trying to make is I don't think the movie on the whole is trying to paint people with DID ID as villains and monsters. I think. No, I don't. Think trying, and I think that's all we're driving at here. And, and I'm honoring and acknowledging and affirming what you're saying in the sense that I do think there's some care taken with the disorder itself. But then it just goes right, off right. into a sort of thriller kind of territory with it, which, you know.
0: Right, right. And I think that uh, I'll, I'll make this statement probably a bit blunter than I need to because we're already running kind of long. But um, I'm going to make this statement. And I think that these things have to be taken in balance. So, I, so I'm just the way my personality works, the way my mind is, the way I'm framed as a as a human being. I think these things need to be taken in balance. And I think that sensitivity to these sorts of statements that art is making should have some concern. That having been said... I don't agree that every single stereotype needs to be placated against. Now, again, I'm saying that blunter than I probably should, given time constraints. You're so insensitive. (laughs) Just, just (laughs) Um, like a white man in 2017. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As a, as a white, straight, middle class American male, um, there's no, there's no oppression whatsoever in my history, but I just, I think that if I were trying to be as, as sort of reasonable as I possibly can, I think that just that you need to try to strike a balance. Sure. You can't be overly, you can't ignore the needs of sensitivity, as I've heard some people say, as maybe you even alluded to, as maybe that person who created Iron Fist, like maybe somebody would be too dismissive of the need to be sensitive to social right. trends. But I also don't think that it's healthy or wise to bow down to them either, where now we can't say certain things because of the aesthetic. Right. I don't right. think that that's necessarily the correction that needs to happen. I think care and respect for all characters, uh, villains, heroes, people with problems, tragedies, anything needs to, needs to be given where it can be given. Sure. And I think that's the responsibility of the storyteller is to try to be as sensitive as you can to those issues. But at the same time, whether we like hearing this or not, the, first obligation of a storyteller is to the story he's telling. Sure. He or she. Sure. That's the first obligation. Audience reaction is in in my opinion always secondary. Even if they are scratching at something that is insensitive and inappropriate. I think that the primary responsibility needs to be is that does this serve my story, right. the story that I'm trying to tell? And if it does, then sometimes you have to make those difficult decisions about those kinds of things. And I think that's why I'm more sensitive to casting decisions because that's not always story related. Right, right, right. Sometimes a completely different person can be in that same role and tell the same story. What's interesting is the point you're making
1: validates all of what we've just been saying. In other words, the through line and narrative of the character having dissociative identity disorder serves the story being told, whereas the what feels like titillating nature of mildly disrobing teenage girls doesn't feel like it serves the story. And thus right, feels right. like an outlier good. in terms of its presence in the movie. Um, I agree with so, that. Yeah. Anyway, no, just I, good I, I, good point to be made there. Let's jump real yeah. quick into the scary stuff. You know, uh, if you, I've got uh, several, but let's just do two for the sake of time. Um, sure. What, what are sure. Name one of yours.
0: Okay. So my biggest scary thing is I think Doctor uh, Fletcher's death. It's yeah. it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It, it is absolutely uh, heartbreaking. It's, it's, it's actually
1: backbreaking. It's, uh, it's body yeah, breaking. It's everything right, breaking.
0: Right. Good Lord. It's, uh, oh my gosh, it is, uh, yeah, it, it's it's so gruesome because of how long it takes and because of how much of it we see and how prolonged it is. Just everything about it is is horrifying. Maybe not necessarily terrifying where I'm scared watching it, but it is horrific. And um, yeah, I, I I grimace every time I even think about her death scene because she's such a caring character. And then to have an exit like that, it does exactly what it needs to do to establish Kevin as a villain. So, that yeah, was, that's, my, that's one of my biggest That was one of
1: me. mine. The other one um, I would say is I actually wrote down Uncle Naked. I mean, this is such a yeah. discomforting. I mean, to call it scary is doing injust- not doing justice to... Uh, on the one hand, I applaud him for, for tackling this sort of story. Um, on the other hand, goodness gracious, what a dreadful, I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing talking about marketing. Like if you didn't know better, there's, there's nothing in the, the marketing that clues you in that she has the level to the narrative that she does. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. you, You just don't, and it's fine. It just, you don't know that. And so then, when that stuff starts happening, it's like, oh man, this is yeah. this is almost worse than the present story. Oh god. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and it, and that's the thing is that this is a this is a dark story. This is, I think, his darkest story. Sure. And it's dealing with dark things. It's dealing with abuse. It's dealing with uh, with matters of the the things we will do to one another. The things that we will uh, that human beings are capable of doing to one another. And uh, it, it's, it is. It's tremendously horrific. You know, and that even breaks into going back to uh, Unbreakable for a moment. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this, and maybe this is not the right moment for it. But did you know that I don't think Shyamalan's confirmed it, but there is heavy fan speculation that Kevin Crumb appears in um, Unbreakable? The character, obviously, sure. James McAvoy isn't in it, but that, that uh, when David Dunn is still at the stadium and bumping into people, uh-huh. there's a mother who walks by with a child and... Uh, abuse is displayed. Yeah, I remember. And they're, and they're, From the mom to him. Yeah, yes. And so, so they're basically, there's some, there's some fan speculation. Remind me,
1: in Split, it's been a little while, uh, What is what do we learn of Kevin's backstory? That it's abuse? That
0: his dad is out of the picture and something related to a train, that he went on a train and never came home, uh, which also leads fans to speculate that he was on the train that derailed and revealed David Dunn as a hero. But all that split tells us definitively is that he took a train one day and never came home. He Kevin did, or he the dad did. The dad. Okay. And so then Kevin Crumb is left with his violently abusive mother. That'd be pretty impressive if
1: that is if that is legitimate. I mean, we can sort of we'll, now, we'll consider we'll, we'll what, consider it
0: canon until he disputes it. Well, what Shyamalan has confirmed is that Kevin Crumb, the character, was in the first draft of Unbreakable. And that oh, wow. he, what he basically did, and he said this in interviews promoting Unbreakable. He said, I had a whole story. It was three acts. It was all of these different things. And I basically discarded acts two and three and made Unbreakable, which is act one. For a long, for a lot of time, people were like, oh, yeah, whatever. You say, yeah, yeah, whatever. But now, but now, We see that maybe he was right because he's basically implying that, obviously, to a much smaller degree, that what we see in Split was essentially the second act of what was originally supposed to be unbreakable. And uh, that now he's developing whatever that third installment is going to be. But what's interesting about all of that uh, in general is the connections there lead me to something that this was, you know, unless you had something more scary, this is this is my one of my big main themes is, uh, you know, Kevin is left with his abusive mother. And develops this dissociative identity disorder and develops into what we see him in in the film becomes the horde, as it were. Um, And what I wrote down is the scars from abuse do not always heal. And I think regardless of what we might say about, you know, being politically sensitive, being socially sensitive, whatever we might say about. The current trends of, of interaction with human beings, I think there is some value in recognizing the horrors of abuse and that sometimes abuses, while it does not always produce abusers, many times it does, but it does not always, there are some times where abuse just simply does not resolve sure, itself sure. and that it, it leaves irrevocable damage to the person who has been abused, whether that is... You know, of a sexual nature, whether that is of an emotional nature, whether that is of a physical nature, it sometimes leaves things that just simply will not ever be the same now that there is, now that there is this, this thing. And I think that one of the things I applaud Split for is for making that kind of statement. Because if Kevin had something redemptive at the end, then it wouldn't be saying the same thing. But instead, we're seeing like, no, this is actually this is a possible end result of yes. consistent yes. abuse. And
1: I think I think a good story is always going to leave us at a place where we have to wrestle with the real human element of what it's trying to put forward. I do think as a mild counterpoint to what you're saying, though, is I feel like they make the case or put on the table that Casey might come out of her state you know what i mean like yeah oh i agree
0: with that oh i absolutely agree with that i think
1: there's a way in which you know she's she when confronted with him is probably so freaked out you know Mm -hmm. that that okay i've got to i've got to learn how to deal with these demons um yeah you know and i'm with you i mean i think i think it's interesting the the really impressive thing to me and i think this sort of piggybacks or refutes a bit more that sort of divisive nature of Chamelon's work, period. But like what's really impressive to me about both Unbreakable and Split, and actually would be slight red flag for whatever comes next, is they're so grounded. They're so Right. It's such real stories being told. Because like watching Split, even if you knew this was somehow connected to Unbreakable, it's only once you're told explicitly this is the story of the birth of a supervillain that you're like, oh okay I yeah, I see that. But it's such a human story. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's heightened. Oh, it absolutely It's heightened, is, yeah. of course. But, I mean, Unbreakable specifically, like, that is such a
0: rich story because those characters are so believable. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I think that that's part of what makes it have some staying power. I think that's what, th- I think that's a huge core of its value. And I think, I'm not positive about it, but I think that, or I would hope that whatever third installment uh, would carry at least that with it into it I right. think that's part of the appeal of these of these films um, and I speaking to Casey's final moment is I definitely think that she's going to come I interpret it that she's, she's not going to go back home to her uncle right. that when the cop says are you ready to go and she lingers and the camera lingers on her and then the camera cuts back to the cop and the cop registers it we see yeah. it in her face like yeah. mm, something's, up. something's something's up I definitely was left with the impression that's that's it. Right, now she's right. not going back home to the uncle. She is gonna break free from well, the pattern ways, that she's been
1: stuck it's in. It's funny you highlighted this in many ways it reminds me of Cloverfield Lane, you know, this mm, the mm. character the runner. Uh, I can't remember. Elizabeth yes, set's yes. character's name, but you know, the runner who at the end of the movie makes an about face, you know, kind of makes a hard yeah. turn and uh, starts charging into the frame. Yeah, split doesn't make quite that 90 degree of a turn, but it does definitely lean that direction. Like this person who has suffered uh, and not stood up for herself over the course of 10 years or so, it seems um, with this uncle is now going to take some ownership of her own
0: experience and her own life. And it's right. pretty,
1: it's pretty powerful.
0: Yeah, I I agree. We have, uh, so, so I'm, I'm in, in many ways I'm okay with this, but I do want to be sensitive. We we've gone much longer than we probably intended to. So I do want to start winding down, but I have one more major theme to break in. Is there anything that you had thematically that you really wanted to say about? Well, I mean,
1: you know, I think there's, um, one thing I wrote down is who is split. Uh, I think ostensibly, Mm. uh, he is clearly meant to be kind of the title character there, but I feel like her victimization has clearly created a schism in her as well. Yeah. One of my favorite bands, Waterdeep, there's a song they released several years ago called everybody has their secret lives, you know, and it's, it it, it echoes through my life a lot in just different ways. Like I just call to mind that song, but, but it's that idea, you know, there's, there's such a way in which we can be so unintegrated in ourselves because of the experiences we've gone through. And I feel like, you know, it's a heightened one, but Kevin's story is such a, such a cautionary tale to taking care of yourself, you know? Um, Oh yeah. You
0: know, it absolutely, lest
1: you, lest you as the victim of abuse end up make, you know, end up perpetrating abuse on others.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that actually, that actually bleeds rather well into what I was going to say as as sort of my, my primary and I'll make it final thematic observation. You're going to have to, Fellow and I would say much larger Frederick Beekner fan are going to have to correct me or, or if, if I'm misquoting him or if I'm misappropriating this. But I remember a phrase from one of what I believe was some of Beekner's writings where he talked about having been a good steward of his pain and talked about becoming friends with our scars. Does that ring any bells. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that's Frederick Buechner, but I didn't do as extensive the homework as I have. I'm going to attribute it to Frederick Buechner. That. And if I find out and I'm wrong, I, would, I want I'll I'll to
1: maintain it. the illusion of being the expert. And so I'll say,
0: yes, that is very Buechner. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, talking about being a good steward of our pain and talking about, you know, sort of becoming friends with our wounds, as it were friends with our scars, I notice, you know, something that Kevin says, well, the beast says it, to Casey at the end uh when he's, you know, peering through those bars in a horrific moment, but he's peering through the bars that she's sheltered herself with. And he says to her, um, he says, the broken are the more evolved, you know, yeah. uh, I'm not remembering the quote exactly, but no, that's, that's the, basically like, yeah, the broken are the more evolved. And it reminded me of our conversation about the invitation where I talked about the uh, uh just in general. Uh, and I think we've mentioned it a few times on the show that, we talk about there's a there's an interpretation of what we believe wholeness to be that is, in fact, the exact opposite. Um, like sometimes we can believe in in our culture right now. And when I say our culture, I'm not necessarily specifically referring to America. I'm not specifically what I am specifically referring to is kind of a trend among more millennial Christianity. I'm seeing a trend that is embracing brokenness and to that end. I am very, very pleased that finally there's a lot more boldness and a lot more willingness of people to admit their own fragility and to admit their own brokenness, the places where they struggle, be vulnerable in front of congregations, be vulnerable in front of friends and in this community, be more open and willing to admit themselves to be broken. But I have seen it, and I do think it's possible that that can twist. Oh, yes. And that can begin to become... A glorification of brokenness and it can begin to become an obsession where you can say, well, I'm I'm just broken. And so I'm not even going to bother trying to push harder into something else because I'm because I'm just busted. And so because I'm busted, this is just how I'm supposed to be. And I do think there needs to be a balance that's struck. And I think there needs to be sensitivity that struck because I believe you and I are both big proponents of therapy. We're both big proponents of admitting your vulnerabilities, of being honest with yourself, being honest with the people around you that you love that are in your life. But I think there is a difference between and, and this is what I wrote down. I said the glorification of brokenness will lead to monstrous distortion. The acceptance of brokenness will lead towards wholeness. And I think that's the distinction that Shyamalan has made between the characters of Kevin and Casey, because I think. At the end, that Kevin has glorified his brokenness to where he is, by narrative and by execution, a literal beast. He's a literal monster. Versus Casey, who I think, after coming out of these experiences, again, maybe the third film is going to refute all of these theories about what happened to Casey at the end of the cop car. But I think Casey... I'd be surprised if she's even in it, but go ahead. Yeah, but I think that Casey is going to move on to an acceptance of the brokenness that she's dealing with. And I think she's on a path towards wholeness and towards healing. Admittedly, but she's gone through something tremendously horrific and her friends, good Lord, we didn't mention it, but the turn that it takes with what happens to her friends, I was not, I was not prepared for, I was not, let me just say, I was not prepared for cannibalism. I was not at all ready in an M night Shyamalan film to, to have cannibalism be an, an element, but, and it's, you know, it's restrained compared to, you know, some other horror films that have dealt with it. But, I had this scripture verse that I'll bring in and and have your response to it, and maybe then we can wind down. But I wrote this down. It's what Jesus says at the the onset of his ministry. He had, had quoted this passage from Isaiah, a prophetic declaration from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to captives and freedom to prisoners. And one of the things that I wanted to say, and then I would welcome your response if you have one. One of the things I wanted to say is I said we need to be brave enough and willing to be honest and open about our brokenness. But we must never make the presumption that the Lord intends to keep us broken or that the Lord intends to for us to perpetually remain in this state of brokenness. Now, I know that some sicknesses don't heal. And I know that I'm not in the camp that says like, oh, you just have to believe enough and everything's going to be all right. I don't believe that at all. In fact, there's a whole other episode that could be had about how strongly I disagree with that. But I think that what Christ came to do and what we as Christians should continually be stretching towards, regardless of our physical situations and regardless of our mental and emotional situations, is we should always have at the center of who we are that understanding that the work of the Lord is... To bring good news to the afflicted, right, to bind right, up the brokenhearted, right. to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, and I know that there's nuance that could be instituted that would, you know, challenge certain situations. Again, that's another conversation for another time. To well, me, but you're, you're, the core yeah. of being a believer is those things and stepping forward. With hands and feet towards those goals. Well, and you
1: and I have had many conversations over the last few years about similar things here and you're, you're, you're wanting to wind down and yet you're, you're threatening to fire me up here. You know, this, (laughs) this mainly with you because you're one of the primary people I talk to in my life, but these conversations of scars versus wounds. And I feel like there's such, Mm. your point, your point is so well made and it resonates loudly with me of, of this sort of, commodification of brokenness we've started to show in you know kind of this as you described it, millennial church movement like oh i'm so broken this is just me and i'm just being real y'all like no you know you're just you are you are bleeding out all over everybody not realizing that this is not helping and i think i think there's in uh two thousand years ago we didn't have a blogosphere that allowed us to post and transmit our most intimate unprocessed thoughts in an instant. right right i think jesus would deeply challenge us to say you are not meant to minister out of your wounds you are meant to minister mm-hmm. out of your scars and scars take time to develop mm-hmm. and yes. and you you make some interesting points about the the reference of you know, preaching good news to the poor, binding up the broken heart that sort of thing. And it, it made me think of the passage and I can't remember who he's actually talking to, but it is someone he eventually heals. I believe that he says, do you want to be well?
0: Oh yeah. The the man at the pool of Bethesda. Yeah. I happen to know that and reference. I, and yeah. I
1: think that's such a powerful question because mm-hmm. when we are in our woundedness, isn't there a, wouldn't you presume a desire for wellness? But I think right. so much of how we choose to operate and call it good and call it righteous and call it appropriate is really just bleeding all over people. And that if mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. were to say to us, do you want to be well? We'd be like, well, wait a minute. What does that involve? Right. We'd say, wait, right. but you mean, I don't get to, I was about to use the B word. I don't get to gripe about my pain. I don't get to right. gossip about who hurt me. I don't get to lament the things I've been through. Well, wait, I don't know that I want that, you know, right. and, and I, but well, do you want to be well? Of course, we think we want to be well. Ostensibly, we want to be well, you know, theoretically, we want to be well. But there's, you know, this line from the movie, the broken are the more evolved, I would counter that with the well, are the more at home. Oh, wow. You know, the broken, yeah, the broken are the more evolved, the well are more at home, you know, like, this, this is why Kevin becomes a villain. It isn't because he and and, piggybacking on this sort of are we are we exploiting mental illness it's not that he has mental illness why he becomes a villain it's because he by the end of the movie begins to exploit his wounds yes he he, yes. he indulges his own woundedness to a monstrous level such that yeah now he has this perception of power now in the movie in the context of the movie he's got actual power and strength and that sort of thing but right. my point right, is right, right, right we feel like our wounds give us power to sort of fluff our puff ourselves up. So, Oh, Oh, I've been through what you've been through. Let's, let's commiserate and let's do this. It's like, well, there is a point where those things stop being helpful and it's a very quick, you arrive at that point very quickly when you operate this way and we choose to just kind of sail on past it. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, go ahead. You know what? Uh, Okay. Yes. Listeners, just forgive us that this episode is longer because I have a point that I want to make that you just fired me up with. So I think I had mentioned in a previous episode, uh, either that or I was talking with someone else about having seen the film Gleason. And there's a moment that Gleason is about, um, a quarterback. And I was not prepared to talk about this movie, but Gleason is about a, a quarterback. I don't even remember the team. He is diagnosed with ALS at the height of his career. He's diagnosed with ALS and the documentary is about his journey to trying to, to cope with this and obviously try to treat the symptoms, try to live as full and healthy a life as he possibly can with this diagnosis. And early on in the film, his father takes him to a faith healer and there's lots made in the film that I believe is treated very fairly. Um, there's lots made in the film of this dichotomy about like, well, you're not healed because you don't have enough faith and you're not believing enough. And right. and, and the, the, that becomes an element of things where he tries a couple of things and it doesn't work and he progresses in this disease. And then I remember thinking when I saw this film and it is a it is a very good film. Uh, I apologize to listeners that I don't remember more of the specific details. I just simply wasn't prepared to talk about it. And they're not in the forefront of my mind. But I do recommend the film. And I think that what I remember having this thought as he was having conversations about his own faith uh, with his father and arguments with his father about where his faith stands because he's progressing in this disease. I remember thinking of the passage of scripture where Jesus told his disciples after he healed somebody, he told his disciples, you will do greater things than, than you've seen me do. And I remember thinking when he told his disciples, you will do greater things than you've seen me do. And I'm sitting here thinking like, Mm -hmm. well, what's greater than just making everything better? What's 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 greater than than that? And then I looked at Gleason and I thought, you know what, if he hadn't if he had just gotten better with ALS, then he wouldn't have started the foundation that he started. He wouldn't be pumping, you know, I think even millions of dollars into help for other people with ALS, getting them care, getting them devices to make their lives simpler and easier. Um, that's part of his mission and his goal. At tremendous sacrifice to himself, but that begins to be the, the forefront of his work, is now we're going to produce this. And I thought to myself as I was watching Gleason, and then I'll tie it back into Split, I thought to myself as I'm watching Gleason, I wonder if part of what our Lord meant when he said, you will do even greater things, is that you think healing is the better thing. But watch as you stay in your brokenness, but the brokenness does not own you. Sure. And the sure. brokenness does not define sure. you anymore. Watch as you carry your scars. Jesus was resurrected, resurrected when he spoke to Doubting Thomas and had scars right. in his hands right. and in his side. And we should take note of that, that he himself was resurrected and glorified, yet not without scars. So I think that once you get to that point... Where you can understand, because what we're really talking about is the difference between living forward and being a victim, yep, and I'm constantly living backwards and constantly saying and like you said, the distinction between I am broken and I am wounded versus I'm bleeding out all over everyone around me. I think that is a very important distinction. And I think there are a great many people who do not get healed for reasons I don't understand, who do not get better and who constantly struggle with whether it be alcoholism or another form of addiction or a form of mental illness or bipolar disorder, something that that they constantly wrestle with, that like Paul, they would beg God, please, wouldn't my life be better and more valuable if I didn't have this? If I didn't wrestle with this, and I wonder, it's just a wondering. I wonder if sometimes the Lord does not say back, it is actually partially because you have this that you're, but not letting it define and own you that you're able to do such great good work in the world. Sure. And you're not letting it keep you at bay. You're not letting it stop you from being who I'm pushing you to be and who I would have you to be. And I don't want to be insensitive. To people who may be sitting here listening to this with a, a, a disability or with a struggle, and say like, "Read, what a jerk thing to say that I should, that I should just be glad that I have this." I'm not saying you have to be glad about it. I'm simply trying to produce a statement that says I think you don't have to let it define you. Sure. You don't have to let it own you, as it were.
1: Well, and and just that there's a way to to move beyond it. I think that I think that our brokenness is not meant to be our identifier right you know and i think that's the difference that we maybe are trying to unearth here which is you know we 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 are content to let all of the pain of our life be the thing that summarizes who we are and and as people especially especially as people of faith that is the furthest from meant to be your identifying element
0: Yes, anyway, I agree.
1: Anyway. Um, let's let's if we can, uh, if people are still with us, um, shall we for the first time ever conclude an episode with our David S. Pumpkins? rating how do you feel about that read i think this is a I good would, i would be delighted A good appropriate fun and well way to end an episode so um david s pumpkins if you if you're just now catching us you know we rate this per tom hanks snl character david s pumpkins in honor of him three separate categories of style um, which is a bit of a fluid definer scariness and substance on a one-to-five, and then read does some magic math and spits out a somehow one-to-ten sort of uh, element It's there. not magic math. It's six <laughs> numbers
0: divided by three. <laughs> it's not magic yeah. math. Anyway,
1: so um, for split, for M. Night Shyamalan's 2017 split, for style read what would you give in terms of David S. Pumpkins? I'm going to give it a three-and-a-half. Okay. Um, I will... Echo you with that three and a half, and so that it doesn't look like we accidentally copy each other left and right here. I will lead with scare. Um, okay. So, and scares on one through five. Uh, you know, there's definitely some scary moments and an overall tone of scariness. Um, I don't know that it tips too far over into it, though. I might actually go 3.5 on this one, too.
0: Okay. I was going to go 4 for scares. All right. See? So, um, so yeah. And, and one quick note, yep. like, the reason I only gave it a 3.5 for style is some of the stuff that we've been talking about. Some of the sort of the problematic yep. approaches yep. to the story. Yep. You know, that's what ding it down for. Life. I think it's a, ver- a very well-made movie, but the approaches to the story are what ding it down a bit. And, uh, yeah, f- 4 for me for scares. For substance, I would also give it a 4. Okay. This, is, this seems weird. I may, I think, because I don't
1: think the substance is any less than the other two, but I'm not at a four. So I'm going to give it a 3.5. I'm 3.5 down the
0: line on split. All right. 3.5 down the which, line. That's Which
1: seems negative. I don't mean it to be negative. I liked it a lot.
0: No, it's all right. Well, you know what? As typically happens, uh, the, it, it, we we it seems to be one of our most common uh, ratings. We've officially given split. 7 out of 10, David has pumpkins. (laughs) That's awesome. So, uh, so yeah, so it is, and I think that's a fair rating for it. I think, I think it's got some, 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 uh, minor problematic elements, but is a very, very strong film. And, uh, we have spent a tremendous amount of time talking about it, but I'm perfectly fine with that because... Uh, it's, well, it it's was kind of a
1: double whammy with Unbreakable in there.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So we've really spent this amount of time talking about two films, yes, so I'm, exactly. I'm much happier with that. Yeah. But as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And if you have thoughts, opinions about any of the things that we've talked about, um, including but not confined to the films Split or Unbreakable, we would love to hear from you. Um, you can reach out to us in a number of ways. Probably the easiest and quickest is to follow us on Twitter. Nathan, what's our Twitter handle? Uh, at The Fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook and post a comment there or post us a post there. Um, there's a link to that through Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Read Lackey. Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides At The Fear, at the fear of God? At The Nathan Ralph. And you can also go to MoreThanOneLesson.com, leave a comment on this official post. You can email us, FearOfGodPodcast at gmail.com. We would love to receive an email from you. Um, we'd also love to receive an iTunes review from you if you have one, if you haven't done so already. It's really the fastest and best way uh, for new listeners to to come to find us. Um, Well, this is the first installment of our uh, next few weeks springtime for Shyamalan I, I think it was it. a real big success I am, I'm very delighted to have more of these conversations with you Nathan But thank you very very much For having this conversation with me So next week we're going to dive in deeper into Shyamalan's catalog We're going kind of in reverse here Split was his most recent film We're going to next week talk about his next most recent film And we're going to pay Shyamalan a visit And you with <laughs> and you with The Visit awesome so uh, tune in tune in next week and we'll be talking about more Shyamalan and uh, talking about some scary stuff and some faith stuff all the good <laughs> alright guys see you, see you next week bye Where's david dunn from I've who's, seen him who's
1: david dunn unbreakable he's alive damn it that's a, <laughs> that's, a that's
0: a kimmy schmidt <laughs> it's uh wow
1: <laughs> it's clearly reed you've never watched kimmy schmidt i, am, I the, have uh, not that's watched the theme kimmy song schmidt. we're gonna we're gonna make that the bumper for this episode is the kimmy schmidt theme song <laughs> oh my gosh i was actually um, gonna
0: use the unbreakable music now well, i have now i'm torn
1: you can now, I'm torn. You can now I'm torn kimmy schmidt at the end Unbreakable,
0: they alive, damn it, it's America! That's gonna be uh, you know, uh fascinating transition.